How are we all doing? Good. So I just, you know, that little video they just played with all the rocks. I just, that really is so cool. And maybe you don't know this, but every one of those rocks was written on by somebody sitting right here in these seats during one of our well services, oh, better part of a year ago. And those are real stories of how God is changing hearts and lives today in life community. These aren't just fabricated things to look pretty. That's, those are real stories. Got a pile of them sitting right back here off the stages where they filmed that. So I just think that's really cool. And it's great as we lead into this series because this series has been leading us toward Easter. And uh, <clears throat> as we head into that, we've been recounting stories from, from ancient days of how God was faithful to his people. But we've also been pairing that with stories from people right here in Bluffton, Indiana at Life Community that God is still faithful, still at work in the lives of his people, still drawing people to himself, still writing stories in his kingdom. And I think that's really cool. And uh, today we're going to continue with that. We're going to be looking at um, a story today from ancient times that um, hopefully will help us see that God doesn't always choose amazing people to include in his story. See, that's, that's not always what his goal is. His goal isn't always to go after the superstar. Sometimes it's ordinary people or even people that we would never ourselves have chosen. Somebody that's less than ordinary, perhaps. Because since the beginning of time, God has always been choosing to do things His way. From the very beginning, when He chose out a peculiar people among all of His created beings, He chose this one nation, and it was kind of a runt poor, sad, ragtag group of people that he pulled out, which he created from them, his chosen people, and he called them Israel. They were not the cream of the crop. They were not the ones we would have included if we were writing the story. But again, it's his story. And then he takes those people and he creates this really bizarre, if you will, sacrificial system where there's these strange ceremonies and we have to kill an animal a certain way and we some of the parts get burned up and some of them get displayed a certain way and some of the blood is done certain things with and there's all these ceremonies that we have to go through and we would say well we would have never come up with something so weird but God was doing it his way because it's his story and then and then he brings uh, he decides he's going to enter his creation and he enters his creation, not in some fantastic way with great triumph and, and on a throne somewhere. He says, I'm going to enter as the King of kings and Lord of lords in a stable in a little town that nobody probably even hardly knew, some obscure little village of Bethlehem. Because God does it his way, because it's his story. And then, then he, he goes to the climax of all creation, the greatest victory of all time, and will forever be the greatest victory in God's kingdom. And he does that by killing his son on a cross. Are you kidding me? This is certainly not the way we would choose to do the story. But then again, it's not our story, it's God's story. It's like God goes out of his way to always do it his way. And so our first example today of another, is another example of, of a time when Jesus went out of his way to do it his way in a way we probably wouldn't have chosen. We're going to be looking at one of the 12 apostles that Jesus called early in his ministry. He'd already called a, a few guys, so he's traveling 
And it's startling when you stop and look at the whole picture of the guy he chose. Now remember, as we, as we start this, the apostles that, that, that Jesus called out to minister with him, these were ordinary guys. These were average, ordinary people. They were dealing with life and struggling with all the hardships of life that everyone else was. The same kind of things that we deal with just to get through our daily grind. Only they had one extra thing going on. They were also occupied by an enemy force. The Romans had sort of occupied the area and they were in charge and they were oppressing the people greatly. And so they had to deal with that too. But these were just average, ordinary guys. They had jobs just like us. But there was one that was a little different than the others, and, and we're going to highlight him today. And This was uh, the man named Matthew, and in the text we're going to read, uh, the Bible name calls him Levi. Levi and Matthew, same guy, so don't get confused. Levi and Matthew, same guy, one of the twelve apostles. And Jesus, in his ministry, is, is uh, moving along, and he, he comes to this area in the region of the town of Capernaum, which it, it's, it's a little unclear, it could have been in the town, it could have been outside the town, but Capernaum is, is uh, up on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus was, as he was coming through, he notices a guy sitting in a tax booth, and it was Matthew, and he calls to him, and he says, he says, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed. Now, here's something interesting about Matthew and why he was so different from the other 12 apostles. Matthew, unlike the other 12, the other 11 of the 12, was despised and hated, literally a total outcast from his own people. Among the Jews, he was disliked at a level we can probably hardly imagine. You see, as a tax collector, he worked for Rome, the very enemy that was occupying and oppressing the people was the guy, was this guy now employed by Rome. (coughs) And so, first of all, he's got several strikes against him. First of all, he's a tax collector. I mean, none of us want to pay taxes, and we're always kind of angry at the man, right? So if you work for the IRS, you probably got one strike against you. You could be the greatest guy, but you already got one strike against you. So Matthew has that going against him. But beyond that, uh, as tax collectors, everybody knew they were cheats and liars. They were dishonest. They were getting rich off of the people. See, Rome would come down and say, this is the tax. And Matthew then takes that number and adds whatever he wants to help fatten his own wallet, and that's what he collects. He collects more than is required by the emperor, but he gets to keep the difference. And everybody knows just that's just the way it rolls. He was stealing from his own people who were... So he's a part of the enemy, a traitor, a turncoat, who is stealing from the enemy, or stealing for the enemy, but really keeping it for himself. And so they lived in these big houses. They were the rich people in the community. However, they were not liked... They were so outcast, it was like lepers. They actually had their own little subculture, the tax collectors and other people in like positions that were in positions of power based on their Roman connection, other Jews. They kind of hung out only among themselves because they had no other friends. So that's who we're talking about as Jesus calls to Matthew and says, follow me. And so here's how the story rolls. We're going to read the story, and then we're going to talk about why Jesus chose Matthew, the encounter reads like this, and this is Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. It says this, After this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. 
and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Now I want us to notice one thing here. Jesus never does anything accidentally. See, God doesn't do random. He doesn't do random. There's always a purpose. When God chooses or draws somebody or Jesus selects somebody for a particular thing, there's a reason behind it. And we're going to get to the point of this in just a moment when we see the reason. Because here's what's happened. So let's lay it out. So tax collector, despised, hated by his own people, considered scum. And that Jesus calls him. And then he says, well, I'm going to throw a big party in honor of Jesus and call my, invite my friends. Now who would, have, who would his friends have been? Not the common folk, his friends that have been other guys like himself, also despised and hated. So he got this gathering of bad guys, and Jesus and his disciples are hanging out, uh, enjoying their company, eating and feasting with them. <coughs> so much so that the Pharisees, who by the way, they have their own little racket going with Rome, we're not going to get into that today, but it's not like their hands are squeaky clean. They even call Jesus out, and they say, how can you possibly stand to sit with this kind of filth? these tax collectors and these sinners. And we're going to look at those last two verses and see how Jesus responds one more time because it's important what he says. This is starting at verse 31. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And it's kind of, kind of unfortunate, but Jesus kind of throws Matthew under the bus in his response because He's, he's confessing that Matthew is this filthy, rotten tax collector. The word, just to call somebody a tax collector would be like a filthy swear word today. You'd be calling somebody the lowest, oh, you're a tax collector. It was terrible. And Jesus is pointing out, yes, he is in fact that. And then he says, but it's not about judgment, how we judge the tax collectors. It's about my redemption and who I came for. He said, I didn't come for the likely. I came for the least likely. I came for the ones hated and despised. I came for the ones that you would never have picked to serve in my kingdom. Jesus came for the least likely. Now, did, did he come for everyone? Because I don't want to get into some theological um, craziness. Yeah, he came for everybody. His point was this. You cleaning yourself up and polishing yourself up so you look like you're ready to be redeemed is not what he's after. See, Jesus came for those that recognized their position. God draws us to a place where we understand our need. See, he didn't come for those people that thought they deserved it. Well, I deserve to be redeemed because I've been working hard for the kingdom. You know, that, that doesn't do it. That's not what he's here about. And so that's the reason he calls Matthew as an example of who he's coming for. What are the kind of people? What's the countenance? What's the attitude of those people that God will draw into himself? That's what we're looking at. Now, it didn't just happen in those ancient days as we've, as we've paralleled these stories throughout the last few weeks. We're going to do the same thing today. I'm going to introduce you to a guy right here at Life Community that has a similar situation. He was kind of disliked, not everywhere. He was the lowest of the low. He was a guy that we wouldn't have chosen and said, oh yeah, that guy's going to lead people in the kingdom. That guy's going to be making a positive impact in his family. No, we'd have never said that. I'm going to introduce you to Zach Bedwell, and we'll let him tell his story of who he was before he met the Savior and was called. 
I really wasn't striving for anything and I was really kind of, um, when I look back now and look at myself then, I was, I was lost. Um, I didn't want anything to do with, with religion or church or um, I didn't want anything to do with God. I didn't believe in God, didn't believe in Jesus. I think my goals then were just, were just to survive. Looking back now, um, I, don't, I didn't have the love for my children and especially for my wife that, that I should have had for them. Um, I had definitely had more of a worldly, um, uh, worldly view as to what love is. Um, definitely felt like more of a, uh, it was more of a feeling. Love was more of a feeling with my, with my family than it was um, action. You know, I think just having a good time is probably what drove me the most. Just, you know, my, my life was based on how much fun I was having, how, how happy I was, and that was all based on feelings and not, not reality. I was probably considered a bully at work. You know, I would come across as really nice, um, and I would get along with people that I wanted to get along with, but if there was someone that I viewed as weaker than me or, um, you know, you just didn't view them as important as what you were, um, then I would, I would lash out at them and I would attack them and I would give them a hard time. So there was Zach, just a guy living for himself, living large, seeing what he could get for himself, nice to people when it benefited him, or cruel to people if he thought that was going to benefit him. And, that was the, and that's the parallel. That's just like Matthew. And then there is the encounter. See, remember, Matthew's sitting there and Jesus walks up. I think, isn't it fascinating? Here's a guy that's wealthy, doing well, living large, got a, great, got a great racket going. Jesus says two words. He says, follow me. And the undeniable presence, the overall, the, the overall presence of Jesus, of God, in that moment was enough to draw him out of that, make him recognize he needed something more. And it says that Matthew got up and left it all behind to follow. Now with Zach, it maybe it wasn't a, a single moment. Zach's story is not exactly like that. Uh, his story isn't, isn't one where uh, God spoke to him. And he's like, okay, I'm leaving it all behind. I'm going to follow you. And this is, this is all different. With Zach, it was, a, it was a gradual thing. As a matter of fact, with Zach, and we're going to hear him tell about it in just a minute. With Zach, he didn't even know he was being drawn. God was using people and circumstances in his life, and he didn't even know until it became clear. You see, Matthew is no different than Zach, no different than you or I, where it takes God to draw us to a point where we recognize that this life is just never going to satisfy. A place where we can finally, for the first time, maybe see the lie of worldly happiness, see the lie of the, of the thrill of the party. It's a point where we realize that without Christ, we are exactly what Zach said in his video. We're lost. We're just kind of wandering, wandering around, aimlessly repeating the same motions over and over again to try to achieve or capture that, that feeling that we had that felt good for a day or for a moment. Or maybe, maybe not even that. Maybe, maybe you don't go through motions that try to achieve that, that capture that happiness. Maybe you go through motions that try to, try to squash it or, or kill the voice. You know, you, you know God's drawing you, and what you do is you fight back, and you find other things that are louder. And we get into things like drugs and alcohol, because that just numbs the feeling. I don't have to feel the draw. I can just live my life, 
continue to write the pages for myself. Maybe it's pornography, maybe it's sex, maybe it's whatever, money, wealth, your career. I'll make that so loud that I can't even hear anything else. And without God drawing you out of that, without God to draw you in, all the evangelism, all the Bible teaching, all the worship music in the world is never going to bring someone to the understanding of their need. It's God that brings us to that understanding, even when we fight against it. Because without God drawing you to that understanding, no matter what you preach, no matter what you sing, no matter the story you tell, it always comes back to this. I need saved from what? What do I need, what do I need saved from? I don't, I don't get it. But I'm so thankful that our God is relentless in this pursuit, in this drawing of us. The great theme of the entire Bible is a God who is tirelessly pursuing His people, drawing them back so He can have them back as a possession. One more time. Every story we read has that as its foundation. And then the Bible tells us that He doesn't change, which means He still today is fervently, with the same intensity that we read of in ancient stories, that same intensity is happening this very day, right now, God is moving the same way with the same power. The power of His Word, the life of what He has spoken, never fades. It's powerful today just like it always was. He pursues us with a love that we can't understand unless we know the story of a God who would give away everything He was, everything He possessed, so that He could possess us back to Himself. And he calls to us, he calls to us all, everyone. And he called to Zach. And it was subtle, we talked about that. And he called out to him and he brought him to a place where he could finally understand. Let's listen to Zach tell his story of God's drawing of him. It was really strange how I came to start coming to church and how I started getting involved in conversations with, with other believers. Um, because it originally started, uh, I would read bedtime stories to my kids every night and my wife would hint that we had Bible stories to read to them. So I started reading Bible stories to them in replace of the other, um, in, in, instead of the other stories I was reading to them. And after about two months of reading Bible stories, um, I started having thoughts that I should bring them to church. So I had uh, two of my friends, Jeff and Kathy Troush, that, that go to church here, and I just called them up and asked them about life, and so they told me um, what, you know, just some of the basics about Life Church and what they were all about. So I decided to, you know, come with them one Sunday and bring the kids, um, completely thinking the entire time that it would just be good for the kids, not, you know, nothing for me. Um, and I have no idea till, still to this day why I thought that would be a good idea to the kids, for, for the kids. Um, so I came and sat down and, and definitely the sermon that I heard that day registered with me. Um, but, you know, I'm thick-headed and prideful and I didn't want it, I didn't want to think that I was being affected by it. Um, but then the more I started having, um, thoughts and feelings about, um, about Christ and about, you know, what church was really all about and uh, apart from what I thought it was all about, um, then I got in contact with Dan Dunnick and 
Um, he was my neighbor at the time, and we've been close friends for a long time. So I, you know, got in touch with him, and he came over one night, and we were out in my garage for probably, probably a good two or three hours just talking, and and he answered every question I had, and um, it, it wasn't really a. There wasn't, I don't really remember like an aha moment, like a, a big epiphany that, you know, just came over me. It was kind of a gradual thing where, you know, Christ just kept chipping away at me piece by piece by piece, one sermon at a time, you know, one encounter with believers at a time. And that was, that was kind of how I, how I got to um, form relationships with other believers. And, and, and that's, that's how my relationship with Christ started. I kept feeling a tug, you know, at my heart, just saying, you know, you need, you need to do this. You need to, you need to, make, you need to take the step, and and you need to give your life to me. And I, I kept feeling it, you know. I, I had kind of, I was already a point in my mind to where I knew I needed to do to do that, but I, I was still fighting it. But um, at baptisms, um, I, I came, I. At baptisms is when it really clicked for me that that this was this was the direction I needed to go with my life and that I that I wanted that. I just said, you know, I got I gotta have I gotta have Jesus in my life. I can't I can't do it on my own. It was it was probably it was probably the greatest sense of peace I've ever experienced. How awesome is that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so it can be subtle. It can be slow. It could be, it could be what Zach called it, chipping away. God just chipping away and chipping away. But it's always God writing the story. It's always His story. Doing it His way. Because it's always God that draws us to Himself. Without God drawing us, we'll never make the connection. And then when He does that, and it finally clicks, is what He said, it just clicked and he knew I have to have Jesus. I understand for the first time my need. And then, and then it's the launch. Then, that's just the beginning. See, sometimes we celebrate. We, 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 someone comes forward and says, yes, I'm going to give my life to the Lord. And we celebrate like that's, the, like that's the climax. Oh, no, 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 no. That's the launch. It's like launching a ship. You break the bottle, and for the first time, the boat gets wet. And then there's so many journeys to take through this, through this story on the ocean. And finally, for the first time then, we allow God to be writing His story of our life. You see, we allowed God to insert us into His story, no longer trying to get through this life by carving out our own story on pages that at the end of every page were dissatisfied, unfulfilled. And then when God's writing our story, what an adventure. We just never know what He'll do, where He'll take us, what that story could look like. And for Matthew, it turned into this crazy roller coaster of ups and downs and ups and downs. And we read about it uh, in, in the four Gospels and, and in the book of Acts even, where it starts off and he says, yeah, okay, I'm in my tax booth and, and Jesus calls me and I just leave it all and follow him. And we turn, and it turns into these three years of grueling, crazy ministry where they get to see Jesus perform miracles and, and heal people and, and speak words they'd never heard before of God's greatness and God's kingdom. And, and it was this crazy high. And then it all came to a crash when they watched him get crucified on the cross. 
the lowest of lows. And can you imagine after this three years of seeing what you saw and hearing what you heard, of seeing that and be thinking, is that it? Was I wrong? Can you imagine the wave of doubt that would rush over those men? They're questioning and they're wondering and they're saying, was, was it all for naught? Was it, was it nothing? And there was the lowest of low. And then behold, God raises him from the dead and they see him again. And now they're back on the mountaintop again. His story has gone high to low to high. And he walks again and ministers for, for, for days with, with Jesus. And then Jesus says, oh, and I have to go away again. And they had to be thinking, what? We just got you back. And he says, yeah, but I have, I have locality. I'm, I'm a person. I'm in the flesh. I can be with you here. But, if, but I have to go away so God can send the Holy Spirit who can be with you everywhere, who can be the indwelling presence of the mighty God in your lives everywhere for all men. And it's good for you that I go. So again, it's back up and down and up. And then, and then they wait and God pours out the Holy Spirit and they finally understand the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to walk through this Christian life with strength. The death of defeat, if you will. You don't walk defeated anymore because the Spirit's in you. That was his story. It was this crazy. He could never... Can you imagine him sitting at that booth collecting taxes? There's no way he could have ever drafted a story as crazy as what his next three to four years looked like. Ever. It's like, there's no way I could imagine that. And Zach said that we were, we were in this interview and Zach said multiple times he would say, I, you can't, I can't even imagine what God... I would have never thought... I couldn't even begin to believe that God would ever bring me to this place. And so Zach's story is quite similar. It, it may not seem as amazing. I'm not sure he's seen people raised from the dead and, and those kinds of things. But the miracle is in, in how God has changed his heart. Listen to Zach talk about after he met the Savior. Let's listen to this. I think the, the primary place that he's directing me is um, to lead my family first and foremost. I think, I think you know... I, my 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 marriage has to come first and foremost before any before anything after God, and you know then then my relationship with my kids, and then after that I see God you know helping me reach out to other men, and I, I'm really I think I'm really passionate about God has really put that on my heart to where you know I'm helping other men on their walks on their journeys. Yeah, I, I could have never imagined in in a, in a million years that that I would be you know, reaching out to other men in the way that I have and the way that, you know, that, I mean, God has really put it on my heart to, to, to reach out to others and to, you know, to try to further His kingdom. I would have never, even in that moment, even in that first moment where, where I realized that I needed Christ, uh, there's no way I could have, that I could have imagined where God would lead me in that moment. So, you know, I've got, I've got guys like Pat Bailey and Adam Myers um, that, you know, I've gotten, maybe just said something to him about men's Bible study or, or men's fraternity or, you know, something like that. And so now they're involved uh, in a lot of the same things that I'm involved in um, and even more so than, than what I am. God has really led me to be more involved in the church. Um, and I think that's crucial to my walk. Nothing in my life has really has really changed as far as my circumstances, as far as my surroundings. You know, I still work at the same job. I still make the same amount of money. Um, you know, my, my, my family is still the same. I mean, we've grown since I've came to Christ. You know, our, we have more kids now. Um, but my circumstances have not changed so dramatically that, 
you know, that it's just so obvious. The, the obvious changes in my life have been with my view, with how, with how, with how I view you know, my family, with how I view my marriage, with how I view my job, with how I, how I view my life. You know, my life was completely um, dependent upon the way I felt about things and my, my happiness and, and that all was based off of my circumstances. And now it's the complete opposite. The complete opposite. My, my joy comes not from my circumstances, but from the God that tells me that it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. You know, it, I, I'm here for you no matter no matter what. There's definitely been a huge shift in in uh, the way people see me at work. Before they would they definitely would not have trusted me with you know with personal information um, because they might have feared that I would you know use that against them. Um, but now because they've seen the changes that, that Christ has done in me, um, they they come to me whenever they've got problems um, and you know we'll we'll pray together we'll uh, you know we'll encourage one another. Um, I have a really good um, I have a really good group of believers that I work with that that we can all you know we can all encourage one another and we can all lean on one another um, and then there's people that aren't believers that are constantly coming um, to me and asking me questions um, just because they they trust my opinion they respect my opinion because of the changes that they've seen in me uh, based upon what Christ has done in my life so if we have you know our eyes on on what God wants us to do and, and what His plan for us is, then you know we're more likely to live out that plan. The, the people that I worked with and, and friends would would not have pegged me if they would, you know, if they knew that person, they would not have pegged me as as a follower of Christ or someone that would lead people, you know, and help lead people to Christ. But um, you know, God has a funny way of of you know taking someone that's the lowest of the low and 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 doing great things with them. And, and it's not, it's definitely not by anything that I've done. It's just, you know, it's what God's done through me. So Zach was transformed into this, this new creation. And, and we get to hear how now uh, his, his life at work, his life with his family, everything's different uh, fr from the perspective of his view and how, how his heart responds to things. But here's what we didn't hear in the story. God, God didn't suddenly give him like a, a six-figure income or pay off his house, or have somebody donate a new Mercedes to his cause. You know, God certainly didn't fix his wardrobe. I'm sorry. I, I love you, man. I love you, man. If ever, anybody that knows Zach, he, he, lo he sports the bibs all the time, and I love him for that. It's cool. But, <laughs> so, so God's not the vending machine. You don't, you don't suddenly get everything fixed the hardships of this life are still these hardships of this life. But, but, but look, his words were, but my joy doesn't come from that anymore. I have a new joy because a God never changes in the midst of all this ups and downs. God's still constant. See, God is writing the story. And Zach has taken those tattered, messed up, crazy plot pages to the cross. And said, so God, you got to finish this story because it's not working out so well. God, I want you to be the author of my story. And the kind of story that God has for us is one that he spells out in Jeremiah 29, 11. It's one of my favorite, favorite verses. 
and, and it's, sometimes it gets overused, but, but listen to this. This is, this is the kind of story that God writes for his people. It says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's the story God wants to write us into. Interestingly enough, that verse doesn't say anything about us knowing the plan. And I know for me personally, that's always the case. God's teaching me patience by making me wait for everything. And it's great because it's His story, it's not mine. You see, all of creation, everything in it is God's story. He is the author of His story. And then we ran away back in the fall, back early in the garden. We ran away and said, no, nah, I think I'll write my own story. Let me have, I'll find my own pencil and this paper here, and I'm going to start writing. And since then, God has been drawing us. He draws us out until we allow him, him to write us into his story. It was never our story. We stole it thinking we could do it right, but we can't. See, we do not include God into our lives because our lives were never ours to own. We've always been God's. And so God says, no, no, no. I want to include you in my life. Not include me in your life because you don't have a life. That sounds harsh, but that's the truth. This is what Paul was talking about in Galatians 2 when he said this. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. He understood his life was not his own. It's God writing the story of God. We're just characters that he includes, and thank God he does it, that he's mindful enough to even include us in his great story. Now, I have to say this because I promised Zach I would do this. As we're sitting down to do this interview, Zach was, he was a little reluctant at first, and he was a little shy and afraid to, to, to share some things because he said, I don't want to be set up on a pedestal. Don't make much of me. I don't want this video to make people think great of me. I want them to see God. I want them to see that God is writing this amazing story, and he just lets me be a part of it. I love that in his heart. He says, don't let it be about me, because it's God's story. He gets it. Maybe God's drawing you. Maybe God's already drawn you. Maybe you've already been someone who he said, follow me, and you left everything and did it. Maybe it was slow and subtle. Maybe it was all of a sudden. But maybe not. Maybe, maybe you're still sitting there with that crayon trying to carve out some kind of decent story of your life on your own. Or, or maybe you hear God calling, and, and it's not subtle. It's very loud, but you're doing other things so you cannot hear the loudness of his calling because you just want to make something else louder. But let me encourage you, if you have heard, if you're hearing him draw you, if you have heard him draw you, if you've seen his hand at work, listen to it. Hear his voice. Hear the still, small voice of the Lord that would draw you to a place where you finally understand you really need him. Because let me tell you, we all have a terrible dilemma. Everyone in the room here was born with this tragic dilemma, and that is this. God set things up to work a certain way, and we didn't do it that way. And that became sin. When God says, do it this way, and we say, no, I'm going to do it this other way, that's sin. It's not really about rules. It's about your heart. It's about you deciding you'll make the call. 
God says that's sin, and he said, unfortunately, sin comes at a price. None of us, here's the dilemma, not a one of us could ever stand before the throne in heaven and say, God, I'm here to make it right. I'm here to make right all the ways I fell short. It's impossible. He says, you don't have it. You don't possess enough to pay it. But he sent his son. He said, I'll enter my own creation. I'll come in. And Jesus appears. And, he, and Jesus lived in a way that he never fell short. At the end of his life, you know what Jesus possessed? He possessed perfection. In the, real, in the real sense of the word, perfection. He was perfect. And then he said, you know what? I'll give away my perfection. I will give it away to those people that need it because they can't possess it. And that's what he did. When he died on the cross, he gave away his perfection to be applied to you and me. And God, only God, can draw you to the place where you understand that dilemma and understand that Jesus has the fix for your dilemma. So maybe it's been subtle. Maybe he's pulling a Zach and he's chipping away and chipping away and you've heard sermon after sermon and you have friends that have just spoken little words of, of God's encouragement and God's truth to you and you're hearing it. I encourage you, embrace that. Open your ears to hear it loudly. Understand your place and accept what Jesus did for you. If I asked you to tell your story, how would it roll? Would it be a story where you said, man, God drew me until I got it, and then when I got it, I received what Jesus had. I got his perfection in place of my imperfection. And now God's writing my story. Maybe your story's in two parts. Maybe you kind of do it like I broke the video up where it's like you got the before and the after. Maybe that's how you view it. Or maybe in your story, it just feels like a continuous flow where God just slowly turned you Share your story. If you're someone who's made that, that switch, already received what God has for you, you have to tell other people your story. That could be one of the ways God draws them to the place where they understand and receive. Now, we've looked at a few stories over the last few weeks, and the three that we've talked about so far are written on these cards, and they're placed on the cross because we're symbolizing these people gave their pages up to the cross, and God's writing their story and as we head into Easter, at Easter we're going to have these crosses up and these stories will be there, but there'll be a couple more because we've got more stories to go. But there'll be an opportunity. If you come to that service, there'll be an opportunity for you to write your story. Write it down, jot it down, whatever a short blip about your story and you can bring it to the cross. It'll be symbolic, sure, but it'll help us to, to reach out and understand God wants to write your story. So I encourage you to be a part of that service. But, if, but listen, if you're hearing that today, if God's been drawing you, maybe something clicked today, or, or, or you have questions, after this service, I'm going to be in the, in the prayer room. We have opened up this prayer room. And this is, I want you to meet me there. Here's the cool thing. We have a schedule of people that are going to be in there. I'm, uh, and, and one of those people today, believe it or not, not because we planned it, is Zach Bedwell. He's scheduled to be in there. We didn't, this was even, not even set up. So he's going to be there. I'm going to be there. We'll, I want to pray with you. I want to encourage you. I want to answer your questions. Don't let this moment slip. If God's calling you, drawing you, and you go, I, I, I'm not sure. I want to get it. I'll meet you over there. You can, I'll pray with you. I'll worship with you. Don't let this moment go away to let the stories that are not working, <laughs> they're not satisfying, you just uh, maybe the next page will be better and it's not unless you let someone else be the author and that someone is the God Almighty. 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you sent your son to die for us. You sent and gave us a way to stop trying to scribble a pathetic existence on a piece of paper that means nothing in this life. Thank you for a way to a glorious story that we can be a part of. And then the pressure's not on us, Father. I thank you that you are the author. We don't have to try to write it. Thank you for the salvation provided by your son, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit is pressing on hearts in this room right now. If there, is, if there are those who have not received this perfect, this piece of perfection that Jesus offers, I pray that you would open their eyes and draw them to yourself. They would recognize their need and they could receive that. And I pray, Lord, if there are those here that have received, I pray that they would have a new boldness through the Holy Spirit to share their story so that you can draw others through using them as your instrument of grace. We offer all this up in the name of your Son, Jesus, who made it possible to come to you. Amen.